I don't want to make anybody nervous, but uh, the first thing I told my wife this morning was, I'm not ready for this. I think I'm ready now. Um, but I do want to pray very first thing today. Heavenly Father, I would ask now as we open your word and we look at this story from Luke's gospel, Lord, I ask that we would, well, Lord, I pray first for myself that you would help me and guide me. Lord, I pray that my words would be just what you would want me to convey and say. Lord, I pray that the message that is delivered today would be one that is honoring to your word and honoring to the truth that is there. Lord, I pray that you'd be with hearts that are here, that they would hear it the way you would have them hear those things. Lord, I pray as well that this would be accomplished through the power of your spirit, made possible by Christ himself. Lord, I ask that now in Christ's name. Amen. All right. We're in Luke chapter 9, and uh, it's... It's no joke. I did get up this morning. I'm not making that up. And I was, there, was, there was aspects of it, and I actually was joking around. I said, told her, I said, this is it, 12 years, almost 13. This is the first time. I, I don't have a point. <laughs> but uh, I, I kind of did. I just needed to think it through one more time just to solidify it. I think that the reason why is because I'm just going to be honest with you. This is a text of Scripture that if not handled carefully, could lead to some weird conclusions, okay? Uh, I think we're to carefully handle God's word. It's also a text of scripture that if you're going to have to put on those imaginary thinking caps and just really try to enter into this story. I'm going to tell you right now, I believe this story will be so much better understood if you could just get into it. Can you try to do that? Okay, I know we live in a world of like special effects and m- movies and everything else, but you're going to have to, that, I don't have that, okay? It's just me. I'll try to get loud or quiet. I'll move around some, but that's about the extent of what I can do, okay? So I want you to try to enter into the story. So I want to, well, we've got to start here with what just happened. So let's just go back in time, especially for those that are new and visiting here, um, Jesus has come, his ministry has started. He's been working his way through Galilee for the most part, uh, teaching, preaching, but healing multiple people, casting out demons. He's, he's uh, you know, bringing people back from the dead. He's already doing all these things, so he's been doing this. And people are getting like, okay, who is this guy? And so just recently, just in this chapter that we've been in, there's this question that's coming. Who is Jesus? One of the first like real times where that happened was when they were on the boat, just the disciples. And Jesus calms the storm with a word. And they look at each other and they go, I mean, they, now you have to understand, they had been walking around with him for quite some time, and they, yet they still, amongst themselves, looked at him when he said, <laughs> he stopped a storm. And they went, who is this? as you would do. Like, I thought I knew who this was, but who is this? And then Luke, now, so you have to think as well, Luke, as an author, is trying to convey certain ideas and certain points. So we have to look at this from that perspective as well. That what's, what's Luke attempting to do? 
in his authorship of this book. And so you see him working through, so there's this who is this kind of mentality. And then he goes down some different avenues where he talks about uh, this king, Herod, from the very top, thinking, well, I think he's uh, John the Baptist come back from the dead, or I think he could be Elijah. There's, these other people, this is what they think that he is. All the way down to the bottom, just what do the common people say? And then there's a part that was just real recent where Jesus goes to his disciples and says, who do you say that I am? And they're like, well, all the people say this, but who do you say that I am? And they go, the Messiah, the Christ, the, the long-awaited one, the one that we've been hoping for for hundreds of years that Isaiah prophesied about. You're that guy. And Jesus says, you're absolutely right. God, in fact, in the other gospel accounts, we get more detail, like in Matthew and Mark, where Jesus actually tells Peter, he says, you didn't get this on your own. God revealed this to you. You got it. Nailed it. And then he unfolds. Now that you know who I am, I'm going to tell you some details you don't know. And he says, in these weeks leading up to this, he says, here's the thing. I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to come back. Now, these disciples are like, hold up. For us, we know that story. I'm guessing everybody in here. You guys have all heard this story? You know that one, right? Celebrate every year at Easter. For them, this was like, wait, what? No, the Messiah is the king. He's coming to reign and to rule. What are you talking about? And then he says this. After he tells them this, he turns around and looks at him. He said, none of that. Basically, I'm going to give my, my summary version. He's, basically, he goes, I'm going to die. And then he turns around and looks at them. He goes, and you're going to die. He says, take up your cross daily. Come follow me. If you're going to be ashamed of me here, I'll be ashamed of you there. If you seek to gain your life here, you're going to ultimately lose it. I mean, he just lays it out real plain. I'm going to, now you got to understand, what's he been doing with all these people? Bringing people back from the dead, healing them, all these amazing things. So their understanding of Jesus has been shaken. Then Jesus takes three of them and brings them up onto the top of this mountain. This is what we talked about last week. And we have what is called the transfiguration where Jesus is revealed to them in his majesty, in his glory. And Moses and Elijah are there. And I would encourage you, if, if you get a chance to listen to those from the last week, because sometimes pulling these things together. I mean, we've been in Luke. I wish I could review. I mean, when you guys we get new people, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a teacher. For those of you that don't know, I've been a teacher for 19 years. Um, a dean for the last couple. I have this desire when new people come in. I won't do it, Paul, I promise. Um, I have this desire to go back and review everything. I mean, you got to understand, this is the 53rd, 54th, something like that, 60th sermon out of Luke. We started over a year ago. I have a desire to go back and review all that with you guys. I won't do that, I promise. It's difficult, but I won't. So try to give a summary. This is where we're at. They go up on this mountain. They're coming down. And I want you to, in your minds, I want you to connect. We're going we're to connect some dots here, okay? So get yourselves in the, the mind frame of seeing this glorious thing, this glorious experience, okay? Now you, as a person who would be reading this, will connect, with, connect this with certain Old Testament events. One of them in particular is Moses, when he went up on the mountain and met with God, and on his way down, he comes down. And for those of you that have been Studying the Bible for a long time. What happened when Moses came down from the mountain? Was it great? No. It was pretty bad. 
in fact, uh, he was so upset, he did something. What did he do when he got down? He saw what was going on. Took the towel, ugh, broke it. Uh, what, what were the people doing? They had, they had decided to, to it's, he's taken a long time up on that mountain. Uh, let's, we're going to worship God the way we want to. And what did, what did they crafted? Yeah, they'd made idols, uh, golden calf, right? Don't miss the point that the, when they looked at this golden calf, when they said that who this is and they pointed at that calf, they said, this is, this is the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. It wasn't like they had abandoned what they, they just said, we're going to make him in the image that we think we understand him in. It's an important little tidbit of information. They come down. Moses sees this and is frustrated. So here we are. Jesus has just revealed himself to his three disciples. They're on their way back down from the mountain. And it says this, Luke 9, 37. On the next day, I think maybe that had happened late at night or into the night, and this was the next morning they're headed down. So this is right afterwards, okay? On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. So, so Jesus is coming down from the mountain with the three, and as he's coming down, there's a great crowd. They've been looking for him. Like, where'd he go? I mean, they've been following him all over the place. They finally find him again. Oh, there he is. The great crowd meets him. Now, I think Luke wants to, us to closely connect these two things together, not just because they happen close in time, but I think there's an important concept that's going to be played out here. There's a painter named Raphael who uh, his very last painting was called The Painting of the Transfigured. It's so funny. You had a, you old art. I, I have it here for you. There's some, if you get home, zoom in on some of these faces. They're some funny ones. But Notice that he's connected, this painter has connected the story of the transfiguration with what we're getting ready to read about right at the bottom of the mountain. Obviously, the mountain was bigger than that, right? So the painter's just trying, he, the painter knew that these were together kind of events, okay? So here he is, he's coming down from the mountain. Didn't look quite like this, but that's okay. <laughs> and behold, verse 38, a man from the crowd cried out. So Jesus coming down, this guy in the crowd cries out, teacher, I beg you, to look at my son, for he is my only child. Now, Mark's gospel, when he shares this, he actually throws in, there was some other conversation happening before this. When Jesus got down there, there were some, the disciples were arguing with the scribes about something. But Luke, Luke doesn't include that because I think Luke is trying to get right to this story here. So he skips over this little argument and he goes right to this portion. Luke, as he does, he likes to point this out. He always likes to point out if it was an only child. I'd love to know why that is, but it's what Luke always points it out when that's the case. He does it again here. Luke is the only one to include this concept of the father begging. It just adds to the emotion. So can you picture it? This one, this man has this one child and he's looking for Jesus. He's like, I beg you, look, have regard for my son. Look at my son. And behold, the father goes on. A spirit seizes him. And he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and, and, and it shatters him. And, he will hard, and it will hardly leave him. I know that those of you in this room that have dealt with, especially when your children are not well, you know that feeling, don't you? Oh, Lord, just look at my son. And you want to tell God about all the things that he's experiencing. Matthew 17, when he tells a story, um, includes that he suffered terribly by falling into fire and water. I mean, this is, this is something going on in this kid where, I mean, it is ruined and ruining his life. 
he throws in here after this, and I begged, there's that begged again, and I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do it. Can you feel his desperation? This is what some of you feel when you go to 20 different doctors and you can't get an answer. Eventually, what do you do? Lord, help. I think we can feel this story. Again, Luke mentions the begging, begging of the Father, or begging of Jesus, would you do this? Your disciples couldn't do it. This must have happened prior to this Mount of Transfiguration. This must have happened then. Do you remember a, a, a chapter ago where Jesus sent out his disciples and said, I'm going to give you authority? So he sends them out. So at some point in there, we don't know this story, but at some point in there, those disciples had come across something, that they, and they must have tried, we don't know which ones they must have tried, to cast this particular spirit out and couldn't do it. And so now this man is back. Now, what I know that you have your Bibles out. If you do, you're probably looking at what comes next, so you can't answer. But those of you that haven't looked ahead yet, how would you imagine, from everything we know about Jesus, how would you imagine him answering and responding at this point? I would have pictured him responding in compassion. Full of, it's okay, Right? I'm going to be honest with you. His response feels, can I say that? Can I say it feels this way to me? If, yeah, exactly. It, <laughs> what is going on? That's how I feel. If, like what? It feels uncharacteristic, uncharacteristic of what Jesus would normally say. Listen to what he says next. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And it's hard not to read that with certain intonations, isn't it? I mean, just the way I read it just then. Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. Or maybe it was, oh, faithless and twisted generation. And it's still harsh, no matter how you say it. How long am I to bear with you? to be with you and bear with you, but bring your son here. I mean, no, matter how, no matter how I tried to read it in my head, it still felt kind of painful. Can you feel that? Like, why would Jesus do this? His reply indicates something is, something's off. Does it not? Something's off. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, Moses, it's called the Song of Moses. Moses, we get, we get the, the roots of this terminology. Deuteronomy 32, um, this is supposed to be 4 and 5, not 44 to 5. 4 and 5. It says, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. This is Moses, and what is, like I said, called the Song of Moses. He says, they have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Very similar wording. It's not the only time that this comes up. I think that Luke wants us to make some connections here. Moses, remember Moses coming down from the mountain and seeing all the people abandoning what God had said in that feel? I think we see here Jesus very similar coming down and seeing ultimately this like and you ask yourself well who's he talking to 
Was he talking to the dad? Was he talking to the crowd? Was he talking to uh, just the disciples? I was hoping that those big, thick commentaries would tell me who he was talking to. You know what they all said? We don't know. We don't know. We think this could be this, probably this, but it's in general, Jesus is making a general statement to those that could hear. Something's off with what is happening right now. I can imagine just even in his humanity to be in that moment, that transfigured state, and to step back into the world and all of its brokenness. That's playing into it, don't you think? That's there. But Jesus steps back into it. There's this situation, this horrible situation, this father, desperate. Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son to me. Any doubt about the severity of the condition is removed by what happens next. The father sends the son over to him. Son, go. While he was coming, verse 42, while he was coming, the demon... Uh, Luke switches from evil spirit, unclean spirit, so he just says a demon. Demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him, but Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. Now, there's all kinds of questions that I have here, but I mean, just enter into the situation. Can you imagine this? I mean, this is what I, I would imagine the father was in some way, it's kind of like when you go to the doctor and you're like, I wish it was going on right now so you could see what the problem is. It could be in some way that, I mean, the father was, I mean, I would be like, okay, this is what it is. I wonder if he's like, yes, it's, this, is, this is the problem, Jesus. And Jesus was there right when it happened, and he rebukes this unclean spirit. It's interesting that Luke, Luke hardly ever, when it's talking about a spirit, uses that word heal. And so there's all kinds of interesting theories about why that is. I'll tell you one thing that I know. Whatever the situation was, there was something supernatural going on, but I think there could have been something physical going on at the same time. In fact, I would not be surprised if the, that supernatural spiritual thing was taking advantage of the, the physical issues that were at stake here and taking full advantage of it to ruin this kid's life. What do you think about that? Regardless, Jesus has power. So there's one thing that you can get from this story. Bottom line, when nobody else can do it, one thing you can, and I could end with this right here. One thing you do is you go, if nobody else can do it, Jesus can do it. Amen, you're dismissed. <laughs> Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift over to Mark's account for just a minute. Mark gives a lot more detail, and I think Mark kind of hits on where most of our questions lie. And I'm going to tell you right now, Luke doesn't share any of these extra details. So I'm going to shift over to Mark for a minute and share some details because we have all kinds of questions about, like, why couldn't the disciples do it? What was going on there? What happened with this? What was? And so listen to Mark's account because uh, Luke, after this, he goes right to the crowd's response and on to a new thing. Mark's gospel says this. They brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately he convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And we get some extra conversation that happened here. Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you, can do, if, you, if you can do anything, God, if you can do anything, 
have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, I don't think sarcastically, but if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, and I love this. I, I, I wanted to share this Mark passage just for this statement. I believe this is where many of us operate, isn't it? I believe, help my unbelief. <laughs> Who in here, without saying those exact words, have in some way prayed that exact thing? I believe, help my unbelief. When I prayed uh, for Steve Danner, I would love to have him healed. Just, I would love to get a text from him right in the middle of the service. That says, You're not going to believe this, Matt. The doctors just came in and checked me. I'm fine. Oh, Lord God, that would be awesome. I believe God could do that. Help my unbelief. Jerry Lynn, with the cancer in her lung, an aggressive cancer. There's a part of me, I, w- I wish I could just go over there and I, like, just, Lord, heal her and that she would just, <gasps> and then go to the doctor the next day. It's gone. I totally, absolutely, 100% believe God can do that. Lord, help my unbelief. Mark goes on to say this. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him, never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. The boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he's dead, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Love these stories. When he had entered the house, Mark shares a glimpse into another conversation that happened afterwards where the disciples ask him, why could we not do it? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now that could be a whole other topic we could delve into, but there's something, but we're we're not studying Mark today, we're studying Luke. I want to go back to Luke because I think that Luke, Luke skips over some of these other details. He gets right to this thing because there's something hugely important that Luke does not want us to miss. When the Spirit of God inspired Luke to write this compared to when he inspired, there are different aspects of those authors were seeking to convey and the Spirit was seeking to convey through those things. I think there's something really important and I don't want you to miss it, okay? So let's go back to Luke. Luke doesn't share any of those other details. He just says that, Jesus casts the spirit out, and then it says this next. All were astonished at the majesty of God. So they see this happen. I think Luke purposefully has purposefully grabbed a hold of that word majesty, because what, what have we just seen last week? The majesty of God. And then this week, everybody gets to see it in a different way, but they still get to see the majesty of God. And so they go... They behold, and they're astonished at the majesty of God. So now, this is where it's going to require a whole lot of imagination to well up. I thought about trying to get you all involved, but I'm like, we had this weird hour change thing. I don't think it's going to work. I think I'd be like, come on, guys, let's do this. You'd be like, are you kidding me? So I'm not going to try to do that. But I I wanted to, part of me wanted to get everybody up and just like, everybody just start talking like you were amazed at something. So can you at least picture it in your heads? I'm not going to make you do it, okay? So just be calm. Can you, can you imagine it? Can you imagine it in your head? Imagine everybody going, oh my God. 
Can you believe this is amazing? God is amazing. Jesus, do you see what he did? Yeah, I saw. I was standing right there. Oh, I was like two rows back, but I could see it between your legs. That was awesome. Like he was dead. It was like he's dead. And then he got up. And then Jesus like, yeah, no, he didn't just get up. Jesus actually put his hand out and got, he did? I missed that part. Did you, did you hear what he said, though? I heard him say something. I was too far back. I couldn't hear. No, he said, get out of him, you deaf and mute spirit, and never come back. And then that boy just threw himself on the ground, and it's like that spirit was in him, just convulsing him, and then it's, like, then it's gone. And then he was, we were like, oh, is he dead? And then Jesus was went, and he got up. I mean, this kid was messed up. I've known him since he was this big. He's been like that for years. And so they're all marveling at the majesty of God and then I picture, and the only way that this whole thing made any sense is when I pictured it this way, and I took a step back, because listen to exactly what Jesus does next. They're, they're all marveling, this huge crowd, and he goes over, he walks over to his disciples, and he goes, he, 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 he gets, a, I just picture him, he just telling his disciples in this group. While they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Let me give a summary of what just happened. As those people are out there marveling at the majesty of God, Jesus steps over to these disciples and he goes, they're gonna kill me. Blows the mind, doesn't it? Absolutely true. He knows it's coming. I believe that that statement, when he saw, I mean, because to see the hearts of men before him, that, oh, now, there were all kinds of little aspects. The disciples were weak in their faith. That man, that father was weak in his faith. This twisted, perverse generation, there was weak in faith. But they were really, the reason why they were a twisted and perverse generation was the same reason why the Israelites were. They wanted the gift, but not the giver. That would be hard, wouldn't it? In Jesus' shoes? Minor example. We have a cat. The cat loves me. I don't love the cat, but I didn't want a cat. The cat loves me. The cat lays right here and plants its face in my beard and just all up in my... I've got, I've got like half of this is cat hair. Um, now, my wife wanted the cat. My wife loves the cat. She'd been wanting a cat for a long time. She talked me into getting the cat. The cat can't stand her. <laughs> now, I've been trying to convince her for a long time. The reason why the cat loves me is because I'm the guy that every morning gets up and gives the cat food. Right? So, she finally listened to me. She do that more often. She started giving the cat treats. Now, there's a new tradition in the cat's mind. 
get up in the morning. It used to be, I get up, I give it the soft food. She'd, you know, look up that for a little bit, and then she'd come out, and she'd snuggle up underneath my chin, right, until she got up. Now she doesn't do that. You know what she does now? She goes in there, she gets soft food, then she comes out, but instead of crawling up and curling up with me, she goes over to the couch, and she sits on the armchair and stares at her until she gets her treat. Now, my wife will then go. Now, my wife, is she, she's luring the cat in with these, these gifts because she loves the cat. And she wants the cat to love her. And I'm telling you right now, that cat don't care. <laughs> I think that in some ways... I've seen this play out. I can say things like this now. I've been doing this for almost 13 years. I've seen this play out with my own eyes. I see it in the scriptures. I see it in what's going on in this story. I've seen people have something that they need or want. And they try everything else and it doesn't work. And then they cry out to Jesus. And sometimes Jesus blesses and gives a good gift. And I have seen person, I've seen people at that time that they're all in with this Jesus. Praising him, worshiping, glorifying God, marveling at his majesty, tears. But then something new comes along. And they start the process again. Oh, they know he can give good gifts. And they know he does. But then what happens when he doesn't? They do the same thing these people do. And they say, crucify him. In my life. They step away from God. They step away from God's church. They step away from his people. They go, I'm out. Now, this is the danger. This is what Jesus saw when he came down from that mountain. He saw the hearts of men, and it was a twisted and perverse generation. Because ultimately, regardless of their weakness of faith, of trying to, I want to get what I want, give me what I want, give me what I want, aside from all of that, there was a group of people, there was a mob in front of him that could go from glorying in him when he gave them gifts to not that much long after this, I'm going to kill him, kill him, kill him. We all run that same risk. One of the uh, commentaries that I was reading put it this way. He said the, the word, he's talking about the word astonish, and then this word here, it says where they're all marveling. They're marveling at him. It, it's a word that may, can, it can mean belief or unbelief. Okay, so and you can do that. You can, you can be astonished at something. It doesn't mean you believe it. Sometimes, have you ever done that where you see it and you're like, I can't even believe it? So this word marveling, just, just marvel, and that's what they're doing. They're, they're seeing it, and they're like, can't really believe it. And it's, I believe it because I saw it, but what they, and they're just, 
Here it indicates the reaction of the crowds who have, been, have seen mighty acts but do not know anything about the deeper secrets of the kingdom which are to be revealed to the disciples. Jesus, in this whole section, is taking those disciples a step deeper. And you, you see, you, we, we like to say that. that. Isn't that a fun catch word in, in churches? Let's go deeper. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, you know what going deeper means? It means I don't want the gift as much as I want the giver. They had the king of glory standing in front of them, and they wanted him to perform some tricks for their own benefit. This is disheartening, but I'm telling you right now, every single one of us could be the exact same way. Right? This is a warning passage. Now, praise God, Jesus does not discard his disciples right here, right at this point. Aren't you glad he doesn't do that? I'm so glad he doesn't do that. But what he does do with his disciples, he takes them in that step deeper. He says, let this sink in. Don't, don't miss it. And so that's what, here, here's a crazy thought. Think about this. Here we are, 2,000 some years later, Jesus is really doing the exact same thing to you that he did with them, but he's using his written word through a preacher of the word to say the same words into your ears. Let this sink into your ears. People who can marvel at the great gifts of God are the same people who can say, if you don't give me what I want, I'll kill you. Don't let that be you. Don't miss the kingdom. Jesus is inviting them in, and this is what he's been doing with these disciples. When he shifted gears and said, I'm going to die, and then he said, listen, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross daily. Come follow me. Stop seeking to gain this life. Stop seeking to get everything here. Stop doing those things. Come follow me. They didn't get it. Yet. And you know what? You may not get it yet. And one of the ways that God may be helping you to get it is when he cuts off the good. Right? He cuts off the good Where's your treasure? You get, to, you get to learn all kinds of things about yourself when God stops giving you what you think you want from God. You get, oh, you learn all kinds of things about you, don't you? Who are you really? Just wait. Life is hard. You've been here a while. You'll probably be here a while longer. You're going to have some terrible things happen in your life. But God has promised one thing in particular, himself himself. You're not going to make it out of this alive. In fact, we've had it pretty good in the country that we live in, but I'm telling you, I would not be shocked at all because it's happened over the centuries again and again and again. This world will turn against Christ and his morals and the things that, and, and his people. 
Where will you stand? Will you be ashamed of his words or will you stand with him? Right? They did not understand the saying. We could spend a whole Wednesday night on this next phrase and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Well, I, wanna, I want you to know that we have the full revealed truth. We have the rest of the story. Those disciples, when they got the rest of the story, turned, the, the Bible says of it, they turned the world upside down. They went through every corner of the world just telling everybody they could find about this Jesus. And it wasn't, hey, this Jesus, he can heal you and he can do this and he can give you this and he can do these. They said, he came to this earth, was crucified, died, was buried, he rose again and he's offering you forgiveness of your sin so that you can have a right relationship again with God. That's what he's offering. And every good gift, every perfect gift that comes from above, coming down from this Father of lights, every single one of them is just a taste to, to get, get the mouth watering for the good, the really good gifts of God, his grace of himself. Don't be like that stupid cat. The Father is offering you the best gift of all, Christ himself. Don't be distracted by any other good thing he's done. Praise him when he takes away some of the good to open your eyes to your real need. I'm gonna close now with a word of prayer. I think we have a song planned, is that right? Just go, okay, okay. Um, it, in this closing thought, I want you to know wherever you're at, see these disciples, they did not get... What's, what's the first line of our mantra here that we do? I'm a complete idiot. But my future is incredibly bright. Anybody can get in on this. Right? You might be sitting here today and God may be calling you to freedom from his good gifts into his great gift. Do you want me to pray for your illnesses? I'll do it, and I think he can heal you. You want to pray for the, the situations of your life? We do that every Sunday, don't we? Absolutely. But don't be distracted from the greatest of all, the gift of Christ himself, that he would come to this earth. Walk with us. Take the penalty of our sin on himself. Allow the same people that he healed and brought back from the dead and freed from demons to allow those same people to then shout at him, crucify him, crucify him, and allow himself to be nailed to that cross and yet still have the, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, but then to rise back from the grave and to send his people go into all the world telling them the good news of me, of Christ. And so we go into the world. And you hear Paul say this so clearly. He says, I have decided to do nothing but Christ crucified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I would ask now this morning a, a hard prayer. 
Lord, I know that there's some of my heart, Lord, I, I cry out for my friend Steve Danner. I, I hope you heal him. Lord, I believe that right in this moment, right as I'm saying these words, Lord, because I know you've done it before and I know you can do it again, there's a part of me, Lord, that would say, Lord, heal him. I ask this in the name of Jesus that you would do it. But Lord, I also know I would never want him to be healed if it meant he didn't see you. Lord, we pray for Jerry Lynn and for her physical healing. Lord, we pray that you'd bless it, but only, Lord, if that blessing of healing will draw her close to you. Lord, for all in this room with whatever ailments, whatever diseases, whatever spiritual forces have been working against them in their, their life this last week, Lord, any of these things that have been pounding away, Lord, we'd say, Lord, we know you can free us and heal us and do all of these amazing, miraculous things, but Lord, I pray that you would only do so if the receivers of these gifts will see past the gift into the giver himself. Lord, I pray that you would work this in our hearts today. I pray that those in this room that have been distracted by the good things you can do, I pray that that distraction would be removed. Mm, that's hard. Lord, I thank you for those in this room that you've done that to and you've opened their eyes to the, the greatness of your grace and the goodness of this cross. I pray that you would continue to do that. In all these things, I lift up everyone in this room before you, Lord, and I ask that you would reveal, you would open eyes, open hearts, open minds as we walk through this week. I pray these things now in Christ's name, amen.